I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author and pediatrician Claudia M. Gold, MD. Her new book is The Power of Discord, Why the Ups and Downs of Relationships are the Secret to Building Intimacy, Resilience, and Trust. You may think that perfect harmony is the defining characteristic of healthy relationships, but the truth is that human interactions are messy, complicated, and confusing. According to Claudia Gold, that's not only okay, but it's also crucial to our social and emotional development. She shows how working through the inevitable dissonance of human connection is the path to better relationships with romantic partners, family, friends, and colleagues. Working through the volley of mismatch and repair in everyday life helps us form deep, lasting, trusting relationships, resilience in times of stress and trauma, and a solid sense of self in the world. Dr. Gold is on the faculty of the University of Massachusetts Boston Infant Parent Mental Health Program, the Brazelton Institute at Boston Children's Hospital, and the Berkshire Psychoanalytic Institute. Welcome to the show, Dr. Gold. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. It's really the power of discord. I, I think that, I, I obviously, the title of the book, I think, is, is obviously something that um, really hits home, I think, in the midst of all of what we're dealing with and coping with now in the in this pandemic. Um, dissonance, and I, I just want to read the one sentence that I read in the intro, the dissonance of human connection is the path to better relationships. Because don't, I, I think that most of us, or many of us as Americans anyway, we don't like dissonance. We like certainty, which you say is not something that helps build uh, happy, satisfying relationships uh, in, in family. So let's talk about, let's address that first. Actually, the title of the book, The Power of Discord, Discord. How is that good for us and how do we handle it? Um, well, I think you're absolutely <laughs> right that when we chose the title of the book, little did we know just how much discord we would be experiencing. Um, and, uh, you know, I think linking it to this idea of certainty, when we feel that uh, things are smooth or that we know the answer, it, that can give us a, a sort of immediate sense of decreasing our anxiety, but actually it prevents us from really getting closer with each other um, because when we do get to kind of engage in the, the normal messiness of interactions, we get the opportunity for those kind of magical, wonderful moments of reconnection and meeting um, which is where we grow and change. So uh, when we want everything to be smooth and easy and nice uh, and have a certain answer, we can actually get in our own way um, from having those, those beautiful moments, what we call moments of meeting. What about, you're a pediatrician, obviously, so you start very from the beginning, and I, I think I, you've, you've also said you, even before people uh, before we're born you uh, some of your research mothers and infants and pregnant women and stuff so how do we how does this let's start from the beginning mother and child how do you how does this all operate uh, with with young children as we're developing uh, well when you think about it a baby comes into the world they kind of have no idea what's going on and and they're dependent on the people who take care of them to make sense of everything um, and it's, if you, I like to think of it as uh, two people just getting to know each other. Uh, and so the, the 
parent-infant relationship has a lot of parallels with our romantic relationships where people kind of, they're two different people. And, uh, you know, starting from birth, the baby has certain ways of being and the parent has their own kind of history. And over time, um, they kind of figure it out together. And, and one really core uh, theme of the book is that it needs to be messy and you need to make mistakes. And, and what I've been struck by in my work is how parents feel so pressured in our world today to be perfect. And this is particularly difficult in the setting of the pandemic um, where things are just going to be really messy. So our hope with the book is kind of to release parents from that burden of perfection and, and embrace the idea that it's in the very imperfections uh, of this process of people getting to know each other throughout our lifespan that we really can develop uh, resilience, uh, a sense of closeness, and really a, a solid sense of ourselves as well. So how do they do that? How do parents do that? And I, I see that all the time right now in the midst of this pandemic. As my listeners know, I mean, my grandchildren and, and son and daughter-in-law are living with me. Uh, and what I observe, and of course, I'm a social worker, but I think, and perhaps this is too much of a generalization, but I think with older parents, they get s- stuck in what you're talking about, this wanting to be perfect, do the right thing, getting all, having all this information on the mm-hmm. internet about how to parent. Um, and they, I don't know if, you know, parents perhaps in there who are younger uh, don't fall into to some of this uh, or are not so upset by the messiness. Um, but, Anyway, I, I guess I've asked a couple questions. <laughs> uh, well, I see it really across the board because I think, you know, we live in this culture of advice um, and it's just, you know, endless. And it gives the impression in terms of, uh, you know, multiple online sites and blogs and parenting magazines that there's some kind of right way to do it. And I do see uh, young parents struggling with this as well. And I think, now, especially with these kinds of pressures about should you go to school, you know, there's so much uncertainty um, and, and so much anxiety that uh, people try to say, okay, this is the right thing to do. Because, again, in sort of in the short term, that gives you a sense of uh, relief from the anxiety. But really, there is no certainty. And it's when we say, okay, well, we'll try this. And we're going to, and this wasn't right. <laughs> so that's sort of on an individual level in your interaction with your baby, but also like in these larger questions of whether we send our kids to school, that we're going to make mistakes and then we're going to have to retreat and we're going to have to do something different. And it is in that very messiness that we will find our way to a, a solution and, and to growth. And, and it's when we feel like we have to know right away and we have to have all the information and there's one right answer that we kind of trip ourselves up uh, and really stress ourselves out by, by the need to have that one certain answer. So what would be the message to, let's say, young parents or to any of us? I mean, resilience is the key, isn't it? I mean, in the, in the, mm. it's especially yeah. now. Well, the, the message <laughs> yeah. is you will make mistakes and things will go wrong. <laughs> And you will not be perfect. And you will, uh, you know, both on a micro level, you'll, uh, like, go head-to-head with your toddler that, no, you can't have this uh, 
uh, let's say, watch the show now. I mean, this is a big thing, you know. You'll, you'll, but then you'll realize, okay, I need to get something done. So maybe it's okay that they watch the show. So you have this all-out meltdown. It's a horrible scene, and then you realize, well, I think I made the wrong choice in that moment. So I'm going to do something different, and then you fix it, and then there's, there's this kind of wonderful opportunity to reconnect and feel. Um, kind of a strength as a parent that you got through it to both of you, the child and the parent. So that's, that's I think, the message is that, that embrace the mistakes and get to the, but, but get to the repair because the core idea of the book is this idea founded in uh, the developmental research of my co-author, Dr. Tronic, um, is that we grow through the repair. So, the, again, the core message is mess up, make mistakes, don't look for uh, a certain right answer. Uh, and in, in doing that, you will uh, find your way to repair, which will in turn uh, build your sense of resilience, that sense that you can get through a difficult moment and be okay on the other side, which is really the core of, of resilience and hope, really. Yeah. Resilience and hope and, and, and maybe understanding, I mean, the rules of the game have changed somewhat, have they? I mean, in terms of, how we're living and 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 how we adapt. I mean, if you're living and and you don't have a lot of options because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and you are st- stuck in an apartment building with three generations of of, mm-hmm. of family. I mean, there are and there's no place to go, and you know there are all uh, many different yeah. kinds of situations. Yeah. So, so right. There's a lot of messiness. I mean, I you know the pandemic yeah. is really devastating in so many ways. Um, and I think, though, when we realize, okay, so we're in it. We're in this messiness. And uh, if you kind of, I find it's really helpful to just stay in the moment, what I was talking about at the beginning. So when you have, uh, in that setting you, you described, so let's say there's an intergenerational conflict because it stirs up so many things to have se- several generations living under the same roof under situations of stress. Um, but at the same time, uh, if you can say, okay, we had a difficult moment, and rather than sort of retreating and feeling like that's a sign of failure, um, it's a chance to kind of work through that difficult moment and find your way to understanding. Um, So we're getting to do that a lot more than we usually do because we're always running around, you know, in crazy ways and, and don't have that chance. So I think even though obviously we wouldn't want this to be happening now that it is happening, the way I like to think about it is, okay, what can I do right now in this moment to get to a better place to connect with the people close to me? Because that's sort of that in-the-moment connection is what will preserve our kind of physical as well as emotional well-being because we need to feel calm. And the only way we feel calm is when we connect with other people who are close to us. And we got lots of people very close to us now. Very more close. Than, <laughs> more right than we really room. want. <laughs> that's but, that, right. but that's what we need. Our, our, our brains and our bodies need that sense of safety that comes from having a tough moment and having a meltdown and saying, wow, that was really bad, but I, I went for a walk or I, you know, I took some space for myself. I started to think about, well, maybe you know, there's something about what you're saying that's right. And we came to this moment of meeting, and then, then we can move forward from there. 
Well, we've gone from one extreme to the next, it seems. You know, right before the pre-pandemic, everyone was running around and never having enough time to be with one another. And that was the messiness or the problems. And now we're on top, literally on top of each other. And exactly. (laughs) Well, I hope that, because I think, you know, one thing I've noticed is that it's really accentuated our need for human interaction and how, because we don't have enough of it, you know, when, when we don't, that the, the way we, I mean, and this was a, this is a core idea in the, in the book, The Power of Discord, is that our sense of ourselves and who we are really emerges in our moment-to-moment interaction with a whole range of other people. So suddenly we don't have that as much, um, you know, the interactions you'd have when you go to the drugstore or when, you know, when you go to work or, or, or the sort of moment-to-moment stuff that happens in our lives that we're suddenly deprived of. So I think that that's uh, a source of a lot of the stress, but it also highlights how important relationships are. Um, and my whole fantasy is that we learn something from this, that, that other extreme where we don't in any way pay attention to our relationships had its own set of problems in terms of epidemic uh, mental health struggles. Um, so I, I'd like us to come to some kind of more happy medium where, where we really respect how much our way of being in the world and our sense of resilience and our sense of intimacy is dependent um, on the nature of our relationships uh, growing up and then in a whole slew of relationships as we grow and develop throughout our lives. So how does now, let's say in the, in, in the moment, how does technology fit into all of this or social media? Uh, yes, <laughs> great question. So, um, of course, now everybody is, is completely reliant on technology. So those kinds of uh, ultimatums and, and things that were, you know, given to parents just are out, you know, thrown out the window because we have to use technology. Um, and I think that what we point out in the book is that the technology itself is not the problem. It's when technology is used in the setting of relationships that do not also have the, the opportunity for that kind of moment-to-moment healthy face-to-face interaction. Um, so uh, it's not the phone itself that's the problem, but rather, you know, for example, in a situation where a mom has several young children and is constantly overwhelmed um, and really hasn't been able to be present for her, her kids in the way that they need, um, then seeing her on the phone might precipitate a, a, you know, a total meltdown for a child, whereas a child who you know, has a, a family where there's a lot of emotional support, where the, the, parents, the parent feels, uh, unlike many parents in our culture, really supported and held in her caregiving role, and has been able to be fully present with her child, and the child is better able to tolerate that kind of uh, distraction of the parent with technology. So it, it, we really have to look at it in the context of relationships. It's not just that the technology itself is uh, bad. Uh, and technology obviously has an enormous amount of benefit and, and necessity for us now. Yeah, it's not the technology. It's how we utilize the technology is what you're saying. So and. Yeah, That's and a, how yeah. We, we, you know, the phrase we use in the book is how we make meaning of it. So the, the, the reaction of a child to a parent on a cell phone will depend on the meaning they make of that and how 
you know, because for some kids, if their parent is distracted, you know, they're perfectly able to manage themselves on their own. And, and for others who have, where things have not gone as smoothly, it's more devastating. What about, um, and if, yeah, go ahead. So, so I think if things have not gone well, then the solution lies in uh, not eliminating the technology, but enhancing the uh, face-to-face uh, relationship. Well, you're the expert, obviously, so I have to ask you this question because this is the question that keeps coming up. If, if the kids, and, and of course, it depends, I guess, obviously, it depends on the different age of, of the children, but if they don't go to school and they're doing all of their learning online, what is going to be the effect of or of uh, not being able to socialize with other children? I know it's different yeah. at different ages, so what, could mm-hmm. you talk about that? Yeah. Well, look, it's just extraordinarily difficult, and I think uh, there's no softening that. Um, so given that, but get, given this is kind of a life-or-death situation we're facing, we need to adapt to it. And, you know, I think we will adapt to it, um, and it involves uh, not panicking. I think that when we panic, we... it's harder for us to be present with our kids. So um, that's the first thing to do is is rather than say, you know, it's it's natural for for everybody to want me to say, okay, this is what the answer is. This will be the effect, and this is what we'll do about it. So I'll just say right out, there is no answer like that. And that it's more that we're going to have to figure it out. But in the figuring it out, it involves recognizing that Social interaction is incredibly important for kids in different ways at all stages of development. So whether we uh, have people develop small, safe pods that they can have minimal amounts, that they they kind of at least make some time for that um, and also accommodate to the online setting. I mean, it's obviously got a lot of major shortcomings, but... um, I was talking with a group of, of clinicians in my community who are resuming uh, in-person visits, like uh, with kids who are in foster care. The, the in-person has a lot of fraught quality to it as well, because you're not a you can't like hug each other. You, you have to behave in a way that feels also constricted. So it's not like there's this idealized, wonderful social interaction that kids are going to go to. Um, so there's loss on either side, and I think that um, that leads to this idea that there's no certain and simple solution. Um, but just simply recognizing that we need to make moments for this. It doesn't have to be all the time, but moments where kids feel connected to other kids. Um, and it's going to be limited, but, you know, this is unfortunately the hand we were dealt, and we, as a you know, if we can sort of foster that sense of resilience that I was talking about, each moment that we get through uh, leaves us better able to manage uh, what is just in in that ever-present word, unprecedented kind of situation. So in other words, the first thing that you said, don't panic, accept the messiness, accept the discord mm-hmm. and go on from there and not all oh, and not which is and don't try to seek that certainty or that predictability that really doesn't exist right now. Um, and 
yes, I think we can make little pockets of predictability, but I think if we, if we bring ourselves into the current moment, like what can we do now, today, in this 10 minutes <laughs> to connect rather than uh, every day we're going to be exactly like this. So it, it can be predictable within a sh- much smaller window of time, because I agree with you that predictability is, is helpful, <laughs> some yeah. kind of predictability, yeah. as much as we can get. Yeah. I, I always talk about, I mean, you need so you can create certain routines, I think, which is a good thing. But I, I think uh-huh. from my perspective, routine is good, but then being routinized is not helpful. You have to kind of have... Right. Yeah, if you can do, have a routine, but not become routinized, if that's possible. Yes, not not be kind of a slave to it. That's a, another form of certainty that this is the way you have to do it. So it's good to have it, but yet realize that it's going to mess up at times. So I, I like that way you frame it. That that's exactly right. So let's talk about. Okay, we were talking. We've talked about. I want to get back, Barbara continue like with the children because isn't it different for let's say high school kids college kids how Mm. where do they stand in terms of uh, academics for instance or connecting with other uh, people their own age that's different than a four-year-old yeah yeah each developmental stage has its own really profound challenges Uh, if you think of the college kids who uh, were just about to launch their young adult lives and and suddenly Many of the things, the jobs they had, they can't do. Um, so it's really, you know, a, a developmental uh, interruption. Um, so then, okay, again, this is kind of taking our tendency is to say, no, that's that can't be because that's so awful. But that is what it is. And so um, trying to uh, adapt to it. I, I, you know, I think that I've seen some kids getting uh, really unusual jobs, like a, a, a like stocking shelves in grocery stores on the night shift, which is its own interesting experience. Yeah. <laughs> Not what a college graduate might expect to be doing yeah. now, but it contributes to society and teaches you know certain kinds of of skills and uh, another, another opportunity for kind of resilience. Um, and so, and high school kids similarly are going to need to find ways to uh, create opportunities. For example, I know some kids who are very serious ballet dancers and are applying to ballet school. So, how do you continue to do your training? So, trying to find like safe, creative ways to continue things that are really essential to your self and your self-development in the context of, of really a tremendous amount of, of loss. Uh, and I, I do want to highlight that, that there is so much loss. And, and part of the uh, idea of embracing discord is to not deny that, you know, to, to once we, we have to go through the loss and, and, and mourn the loss in order to be able to uh, move on to uh, creative solutions. Yeah, I think that's a key point that you mentioned, and obviously you write about in the book, but accepting the loss. I think that's very difficult for many of us. Our culture doesn't really, that's not something that we like to do. And so, like, accepting the loss, and once you do that, then you can go forward. And we're all, you know, suffering from different kinds of loss, I guess. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and that's... 
That's, right. To, I guess you have to, to have do that first. Space for mourning and to realize that you won't fall apart. I mean, I think that that's yeah. also very much in, in the book, The Power of Discord, is that we resilience is the ability to have very difficult feelings without falling apart. Like to say, okay, I can handle looking at the fact that my high school year, my senior year of high school, is a total mess. And that's just devastating, but I can still be me, <laughs> and I can still do something and continue to grow myself and my sense of self in the world while acknowledging that this is really a, a devastating loss. And that in and of itself builds resilience, to be able to do that. Who do you think is going to fare best? You know, when you talk about being resilient, um, what are the uh, characteristics of people uh, young people and old people, like I guess all of us, uh, that's going to help us. We'll take. We only have four minutes left. That will help us to be resilient in in this particular. Yes, well, that, that's time. the core idea of the book, and certainly yeah. very relevant now, which yeah. is that resilience isn't something you're born with or something that develops in the face of catastrophe. It's more like something that you like training for a marathon. Every little time you get through a difficult moment in your day whether you're a newborn or a toddler or a young mom or a, you know, an elderly person, <laughs> every one of those times, those micro moments of going from a difficult moment to seeing yourself to the other side, that's how you build resilience. It's kind of like training for a marathon. You don't just run it all at once. So this whole experience of getting through, and, and as I said, we've got lots of opportunity, is, is a, an opportunity, and even on a more global social level, to go through some very, very difficult times as a country, which I hope will lead us to be able to uh, find some really deep resilience and, and grow uh, in, as, a, as a whole society, not only as individual people. Uh, to a, a whole new, better level. Well, that gives us something to work on, uh, resilience. As you say, we're not born with it. We have to, this is something that, that we acquire depending on our choices, as you say, or, or what we do, and it's our responsibility to develop resilience, which we need to do, obviously. A couple minutes left, so I know you're involved in a lot of different um, projects uh, as well as writing this book, but um, so give us some websites that we can go to for more information about the book and about other work that you're doing. Okay, so the the book has a, pow- a website, thepowerofdiscord.com, where you can find out more about the book and about my co-author, uh, Dr. Tronic. I have my own website, which is claudiamgoldmd.com, where you can find information about my three other books, uh, which are for parents uh, and professionals. Um, and then I also run a community project in Western Massachusetts called the Hello, It's Me Project, which is about supporting parent-infant relationships in uh, rural communities uh, with, with high needs and low resources. So, so those are all the multiple ways of getting information <laughs> about the book and my work. Great. It's great talking to you today. Um, well, thank you so much with, yeah. for having me. Yeah, we've learned a lot. The Power of Discord. Uh, That's Dr. Gold's book, Why the Ups and Downs of Relationships are the Secret to Building Intimacy, Resilience, and Trust, which is what we need to do today in the midst of this pandemic. Thank you so much. Um, Stay safe and healthy. You too. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 